Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. How's everyone going this morning? You ready? I'm pumped. I have got a really awesome message, if I might say so myself. And uh, I really am excited for what God wants to do in this next few weeks. We are actually starting a brand new series. It's called Keystone Habits. And how amazing does that graphic look? I made that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Sometimes our team's like, yeah, why don't you leave things like that to us, Nate? And I'm like, well, you know, it's fun. Sometimes I get it right. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. But um, Keystone Habits, and, and we are starting this series uh, particularly uh, because we believe that God has got something amazing for each and every single one of you. Uh, we had our anointing service last Sunday. Who was there? Some people. And there was, I think we wouldn't even be counted, it was about 50 that they came up that night. And we just managed to have this time just to pray over people's lives, to speak into what God uh, was saying to different people about where they're going and what God has called them to, what God was anointing them to. And I love hearing what God has got for me. But quite often what I'm finding is that after hearing what God has got for me, then life. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, God, amazing. And, and then, you know, you, you have to see that boss that you hate. You have to go to that class that you don't understand. You have to, whatever it is, and you step into that space and, and life happens, right? And sometimes life doesn't make it easy for you to see how God is going to do that work in your life. Does that make sense? And so what we wanted to talk about was keystone habits in stepping into what God has got for you. Because do you know that 45% of your behavior is habit-based? There's research that has shown that 45% of all human behavior is habit-based. That means that nearly half of all that you do is regulated by these patterns that you have set in your life. And so if you find yourself kind of not really going anywhere or maybe even going backwards, there is a chance that there are habits that are locked into your pattern of existence that is dragging you back. If you want to change your life, change your habits. That is literally what the research is showing. And that is something that we do want to talk about. And in particular, over the series, we are talking about keystone habits. Keystone habits is a term that was coined by a journalist called Charles Duhigg. He wrote a book called The Power of Habit. And when he wrote this book and he did his research into habits and how habits are formed and, and all of that, uh, he came to a conclusion that not all habits are created equally. There are some habits that actually have a deeper impact on our lives. So I've got this little picture is of a whole bunch of little pebbles because I was trying to find a cool picture of a proper stone arch, but I couldn't find one that was not drawn by a kid. And if you look at this stack of pebbles and you see the middle one that is highlighted in red, that is your keystone. Okay, so that is a keystone. What is a keystone? A keystone, when they used to build these stone arches, what they were finding is that they needed this central piece that fit in, that held the whole structure together, but was actually not really carrying the weight of the arch. 
In fact, the keystone carries very little weight on the arch, yet without it, there would be no arch. And so what Charles Duhigg wrote about was that there are some habits that might not be as crazily hard to implement, but is able to then have this flow-on effect on other habits that kind of come into space, form together in order to have this structure that you are trying to build. And so over these next few weeks, we are going to be talking uh, about some habits that I believe that if you set these in the center of your life, they are going to change how things work around you. It is going to have a flow-on effect to other habits and other decisions that you are making, other behaviors uh, that you are living out in your life. And so we are going to be talking about the first one today. And from here, uh, I think the rest of the habits do flow on from this message today. So aren't you glad that you got here for the first one? Because this one is, if I could say so myself, this one is the key, key, keystone of all habits. Next week will be the key, keystone, and the final week will be the keystone. And um, so you guys get the best of the lot. Um, and before I, I start off, uh, let's just pray, hey? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you want to speak to us today. I thank you that, like what Andre was saying this morning, that you are so concerned with our lives. You want to be involved in our lives. You want to speak to us. And so I pray for open hearts. I pray for a sensitivity to what you are saying and what you are leading us to this morning. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I will tell you where to look in just a moment, but get yourself ready. Uh, I actually I want to just unpack a bit of a story before we get to 1 Samuel 15. It starts in 1 Samuel chapter 9. See, there was this nation called Israel. And Israel did not have a king, which was really strange in that day and age. In, 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 instead of a king, they had prophets and they had judges that would rule the nation. But Israel wanted a king because they wanted to fit in with the rest of the world, the known ancient universe at that time. And, and they wanted a king. And so God was saying, okay, cool, you can have a king. And so he got a prophet named Samuel who wrote these books. And that's what they call one and two Samuel. There were two books written by Samuel. And Samuel was instructed by God to find this man named Saul and to anoint him as king. And so Samuel goes on this trek to find his man named Saul. And he comes to Saul and he finds that Saul is a kingly looking person. He was a head taller than anyone. You can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 10, I believe, where, or 1 Samuel chapter 9, where it says that Saul was a head taller than his whole family. He was a big man. He was tall. He was strapping. He looked like a king. And so Samuel takes a horn of oil, pours it over Saul, anoints him, and then begins to speak into his life saying, God has called you to be king. And then he goes on to prophesy what Saul was going to go through the very next day. He said, you are going to experience this, 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 and this. And what happens for Saul is that the very next day after the anointing, he experiences the exact things that Samuel had said. How many of you, after anointing service, you felt a word from God, and then you were like, wow, that is amazing. And then you were like, I don't know if God is really saying that. How many of you would have liked the elder who was praying for you to say, Bexo, tomorrow, 
someone's going to come to your door and deliver you your favorite pizza. And then after you have that favorite pizza, someone else is going to come to your door and give you a million dollars. And then after that, there's going to be something else that happens, etc., etc. And then the next day, back, lo and behold, wakes up and someone is knocking on the door of a pizza. It's like, maybe God is saying something about my life. Maybe God really wants me to live this out. And then there's something else that happens. And then something else that happens. It all lines up. Saul has confirmed that he is anointed of God to live out his call. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And so it is a little bit strange when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 10. It is the coronation of this king. And Samuel had gathered the whole of Israel as God had commanded. And they didn't just call Saul up. They saw Saul come up. No, no, no. What they did was that they drew lots. They basically did a bingo lottery to find out if who the king was supposed to be. I mean, we think that our elections here in Australia are weird. This is what they did back then. They literally, they had 12 tribes. And so they drew lots and the tribe of Benjamin was called. And then from there, they got all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin and Saul's clan gets picked up out of a hat. I don't know what it was. Probably wasn't a hat. I don't know if they wore hats. They were in the, jung- uh, they were in the desert. But from the clans, his family was called. And then from his family, his name was called. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we have this really weird little part. Because... They were like, Saul. And they were expecting this guy to be like, I am the chosen one. But no one came. They were like, Saul. Saul, son of Kish. Saul, son of Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. No one. And so they actually said in verse 22, so they inquired further of the Lord. They actually asked God, God, where's Saul? And he said, has the man come here yet? We have gathered the whole nation to be here. And this is the most exciting point in the whole of Israelite history that they could remember because they were going to appoint a king. Yet Saul wasn't there. And then they asked God, has the man come yet? And the Lord says, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Baggage carousel one, paging Saul. And so they actually went to find Saul. They ran, verse 23, they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than anyone else. Crazy. Twice in the Bible, there was reference to how this man looked like a king, and yet he was hiding like a peasant. But he was anointed, he was chosen He was confirmed, not just individually, but amongst the sight of the whole nation, and he becomes king. And over the next five chapters, before we get to the passage that I want to get to, he fights three different wars, and he wins all three different wars. He was doing the work of a king, and he was having a success rate of a very successful king. And on this third war, what had happened was that God had called Saul, and he said, you are to fight against the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were a group of people, were a nation of people that really opposed the Israelites. They did not like the Israelites. And when the Israelites were leaving Egypt to become a nation, as you can read in Exodus, um, the Amalekites was the first nation to oppose them. They opposed the people of God stepping into the promises of God. And so um, God told Saul that you are to completely obliterate these people. 
You are to remove this obstacle from your people to be able to continue to step fuller into my promises. That is what God was telling Sam, uh, Saul. And so Saul fights against them, but instead of wiping them out, Saul keeps a whole bunch of the best livestock and he keeps the king alive. Now Samuel, after this war, he comes because it was his custom to come and bless the people and to offer the sacrifice. And he comes and he sees that Saul had not obeyed. And this is where we want to get to. 1 Samuel 15, starting in verse 17, I'm going to read from there. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. I want you to just notice that for a moment. Remember that twice already we were told that this guy ain't small. This guy is big. He's the biggest guy in all of Israel. But Samuel says to him, although you were one small, where? In your own eyes. Did you not become the head even though you already were a head over everyone? The Lord anointed you king. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers, the soldiers, the blame game starts. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heat is better than the fat of rams. This morning, I'm not talking to you about obedience, even though we could have a whole message on that. In fact, I had many conversations with people uh, and, and, and they have this viewpoint of God that God desires us to give this massive sacrifice after sacrifice in order that He be pleased with us. And when I read this passage to them and I said, obedience is better than sacrifice, they're like, what? What? And obedience isn't this crazy heavy thing. I believe that many of you received a word that was liberating, that was freeing, that was exciting, that was captivating for you. Obeying the voice of God is not always about sacrifice. It often is about paradise. It often is about God opening up something so much more than we could ever hope or imagine for. But yes, obedience is important. But what I want to talk about is something that I believe determines whether we know how to obey or not. Whether we are truly living out in the anointing of God in our lives. And the, the key here is that Saul had a problem in his heart. In his heart, he did not see and understand or receive the anointing of God. And so he worked hard, but he did not live out the fullness of what God had. The insecurity that plagued him at the start of his calling was still with him at that battle and that war. He allowed the people to plunder and take whatever they wanted because he wasn't just worried about how God saw him, he was worried about how these people saw him. He kept their king alive so that he could show both to other people, look at who I have conquered. If this guy is the Amalekite, 
so she was she was going to be so that she would look better and bigger in other people's sights it wasn't so much a problem with whether he wanted to obey as much as it was a problem in his heart where he was plagued with doubt he was plagued with insecurity and when we look at proverbs 4:20 to 23 which is going to be a key verse uh, today we we read about king solomon collecting wisdom and he was trying to pass it on to the next generation and he writes this my son pay attention to what i say turn your ears to my words do not let them out of your sight keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body above all else first and foremost place this as a priority this is important and urgent guard your heart for everything you do flows from it see god put a little phrase on my heart a little while ago as i was preparing he put this phrase heart work before hard work heart work before hard work i have got no problem with hard work i i have been brought up to understand hard work my dad worked hard and he has always provided for us working hard there's nothing wrong with hard work but what is the problem see Saul did hard work he fought three wars i don't know if any of us have even fought one i was doing national service and i did not fight wars i fought ants <laughs> on the jungle floor in any nation there are ants the size of your head maybe not quite that big but they look that way when you're just sitting down and you're like oh my gosh what the heck the whole forest floor is moving anyway i did not fight any wars none of you have this guy fought three he worked hard in the office that he was placed in but there was something that it was flowing out from a heart that was frozen a heart that did not understand what truly god had called him to and so all of the hard work that he was doing wasn't in a direction that brought life it was in a direction that brought death the behaviors our behaviors always flow out of our heart and so before you get yourself wound up before you get yourself to a place where you've been working to the bone working your little butt off check am i heading in the right direction have i done what i need to do in my heart so that i can actually see life for what it is you see what i realized and what i've been learning over the last 18 months is that our heart carries a lot of stuff it carries all of our experiences it carries all of our memories and it locks all of these up and it collects these forming your identity and then out of that it speaks to us right way up amazing and we get these messages from our heart we get messages that this is basically this is kind of like your heart comes to you and it says your mission should you choose to accept And that's what happens. That's how our heart flows on. How the hard work flows on from our heart. We receive these messages. This is how you're supposed to live your life. This is what you're supposed to do. What many of us do is like, yes, that's me. That's my identity. And you live it out, but you haven't opened up the envelope. You have no idea what it's saying to you. You just simply use this to guide you, and you just keep living this out, no matter how it goes. See, a little while ago, I read this story. 
about a man named Joe. I don't know if that's his real name. It was written in a book um, about basically healing and understanding your heart and all that. Beck and I are going on a process of adoption and as part of it, we need to understand how these children are formed. And, and so we've been doing research into hey, all of this stuff. And I read a story about a man named Joe. See, Joe was a really successful businessman. He was part of a, a prestigious uh, company and he was doing well. He had his wife, he had his kids. But Joe was always feeling really numb and empty on the inside. There was something missing. And he thought that if he worked harder, that he would be able to feel that sense of achievement. And so he continued to work harder. And lo and behold, he gets the promotion that he was waiting for. In fact, they made him the CEO of this company. He got to this top position because of his hard work. And you would think that maybe at that point he would maybe get a sense that I've made it. I'm actually doing okay. I've actually achieved something in my life. But what happened was actually quite the opposite. Joe, suddenly, after this promotion, became an angry person. He lashed out at his kids. He lashed out at his wife. And then he did something that was really strange because no one had really seen this side of him before, but he started to lash out at his workplace so much so, this is a true story, his board of directors said, you need to get anger management classes. The same board that promoted him to the position of CEO, suddenly was like, what the heck just happened to you? You need anger management classes. And so Joe started going to uh, these counselors who wrote this book that I was reading. And um, upon receiving this counseling, they found out the root of what was going on. Sorry. I was just like, I hope I'm not hallucinating. <laughs> Can you hallucinate sounds? No? Okay, anyway, sorry. Back to the story. Joe went to counseling, and they found out that Joe actually had frozen grief. They termed it frozen grief. See, what had happened, and this is a really sad part of his story, but Joe grew up in a, in a working-class family. They had a farm, and he was working on the farm with his dad. And uh, as he was working on this farm, his dad had a massive heart attack and dies in front of him while working in the farm. And so they, they proceeded with the, with the funeral as you have to. And on the day of the funeral, his mom comes up to him and says, Joe, now that your dad is dead, we are looking to you as the man of the household. So you need to pull yourself together because we are all depending on you. So Joe took all of his grief, all of his sadness, all of this loss bottled it up in his heart, stuffed it deep so that he would be able to perform according to expectations. I need to work hard because everyone is depending on me. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. That is the message that his heart began to receive and to give to him. Work hard. Emotions are not part of your manhood. You will not feel things. And so he went on in his life, worked his butt off, but never felt. And then just before he received his promotion, his mom actually passes away. And when his mom passed away, what happened was that the grief from his mom's loss touched that deep place inside of his heart that he didn't know was still there. That grief that had been frozen for decades. And suddenly there was this mingling of 
grief that was unprocessed and he did not know how to process it. There was this anger that he found that was deep inside of his heart and he was freaked out by it and not wanting to look inside he started to lash out at the people around him part of that message that he didn't know that he needed to process was that he was actually angry at his dad and in the counseling sessions as they unfroze that grief and he heard himself saying i hate my dad for abandoning me for taking away my childhood for not allowing me to be a boy but I needed to step into this place of manhood where I wasn't allowed to feel and I needed to provide for everyone else but no one was there to provide for me he heard these words coming out from his mouth and he was like what in the world I did not even know it was there he started this process of healing but why I tell you this story is because so many of us are in a similar kind of a boat. We work hard because of what our heart is telling us, but we don't really know what our heart is telling us. And this has been the joy of me stepping into this space as I've been understanding a lot more about my heart and how God has wired me and emotions and all of that. And I discovered that all of us need to go through a process where we work on our heart before we work hard in our lives. But we take time to actually examine. And that is what Solomon was telling the next generation. See, Solomon was wise, possibly the wisest man in all of the Bible, maybe barring Jesus. He was given the gift of great wisdom. But as he went about his life, he made some stupid decisions. Why? Because he had a heart that he hadn't worked on. And so he was trying to prevent the next generation from being in that same space. And he says, above anything else, yes, work hard. If you read Psalms, you will see, so sorry, not Psalms, Proverbs, so many Proverbs that says, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. But there's this one verse where he says, above all of that working hard, guard your heart, guard your heart, because all of that hard work flows from your heart. And so what we need to do is that we need to unlock what has been locked up inside of our hearts. We need to open up the envelope that our hearts has been given us and examine some of these messages. And this first one might seem a little bit silly, but I think this was what Saul had been thinking about himself. People only like you because you are tall. Don't you reckon? Maybe he went about his life, he was like, yeah, I'm tall, but everyone thinks I can play basketball. I hate basketball. I want to play cricket. But you always think I'm tall about basketball. Have you ever received a message about how you look that has determined how people reacted to you? You're only chosen because you've got a pretty face. You're only chosen because of this or that. And we start to listen to that message. But what about other people who are not so tall? And you think, people don't like me because I'm short. You get what I mean? Like, come on, man. Why do we listen to... This is real. People have been labeled with this syndrome called short man syndrome. Why? Because they're like, people don't like me because I'm short. They don't think that I'm up there with them because I'm too short. And we listen to these messages. And we allow these messages to dictate how we act. We try to become bigger than we really are. We try to prove that there's something else to us besides what people always seem to talk about. And that might have been a bit of fun. And if any of these messages sound familiar because of conversations that I've had with you, I have not pulled these 
specifically from any one conversation. All of these little messages I've written down as examples have come from multiple people. All right? So the little disclaimer, I'm not trying to bag you out in front of everyone else. I'm just sick and tired of these messages dictating to us how we're supposed to live. What about a message that you cannot trust people? How many of us are working hard because you think that no one else is going to look after you? How many of you have stopped short of trusting God because you don't know if God can be trusted? How many of you have gone about your life thinking that you need to sort yourself out because no one else is ever going to be there for you? And so you work your butt off, but you're numb and you're empty on the inside. How many people have felt that way? What about this one? You have to work hard to be loved. If you don't work hard, people are not going to approve of you. No one's going to see you for who you are. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to just see any value in you. You have to prove yourself. You work your butt off. If not, you're never going to be good enough. How many people have been listening to that message? How many of you have taken multiple jobs, gone through different educational routes, gone through sleepless nights, or even volunteered on five different teams at church? Just so that hopefully someone will say, hey, appreciate all the work that you do. You know, that's something that I've been really conscious about. I try not to thank people for what they do because I'm scared of making this message more true, that I don't see you unless you work hard. I see you. I don't always talk to you. It's fine because I like to work hard because I'm working for the King of Kings. That's what he's called me to do. I see you. I might not know you that well, and that's why maybe I don't talk to you that much. So ask for a coffee. Let's go for a coffee. Or if you don't drink coffee, let's get an ice cream. Pietro's is great. Let's go. What about this one? Just like Joe, emotions are weak. You're not allowed to emote. You're not allowed to feel. You're not allowed to look weak. How many of you have stuffed your emotions down even though God has created you with them? If you ever feel completely numb in your life, you've been listening to a message like this. A lot of people have got this. And we live according to that way with a huge portion of our lives stuffed down, pushed aside. So we don't even know what we're really doing because... I don't know how I feel. Oh gosh, this one. Asking for help means you're not good enough. That one speaks to me. That's my life. I don't want help. Because if I ask for your help, it means that I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. The Singaporean in me loves this one. You get your grades right, son. No, mom and dad didn't say that to me. But <laughs> teacher was calling me son. <laughs> but don't ask for help. You're alone. You've got to do this. How many of you have got that one? I know there's a few more. You're stupid. You're dumb. You're an idiot. So you've got to prove that you're smarter than everyone else. Read every dictionary you can get your hands on. 
hope is too painful. I know many people with this one. You're scared about tomorrow because if you begin to hope, someone's going to let you down. Something's going to let you down. It's your fault. It's your fault that dad passed away. It's your fault that you're all alone. It's your fault. And we have all of these messages that are stuffed deep in our heart, taking up all the room, and we don't even know it's there. And so when God comes and he's trying to bring freedom, it don't fit. It don't fit because your heart's so full of rubbish, of untruths and lies that are stuck in there. And God is trying to say something new about you. And you're going through an anointing service. And an amazing elder who loves you comes to you and says, God loves you. And he says, yeah, nah. God loves you. Because your heart's too full of crap. Because you haven't done your hard work. You've only been doing hard work. And look, I appreciate that you're doing hard work. You know, I've realized something. Even for people that look that they're lazy, they're not lazy. They're confused because their heart's so full of stuff that they are trying to do something, but they don't even know where to start. They're so scared of failure because they've been wrecked with doubt about themselves, and so they don't start anything because they don't know what to start. I don't believe that there's any lazy person in this room. I just believe that they're confused, hurt, wounded people. Honest truth is that all of us have got some messages that are still in our heart. Even after all these years of being a pastor, there's, st there's still messages in there. There's still messages that every now and then it gets pulled out and it gets revealed. And I look at it and I go, Oh. Oh. I've been living that. And I can see how all of my hard work has been coming out of that message. So what does hard work look like? Hard work looks like taking these messages out, examining them, and asking yourself, not just yourself, but is this true? Is this really what should define me? Should I put it back in there, or should I get rid of it? Most of us don't slow down enough to do this. That's why I'm calling hard work a habit. Because Solomon didn't say, examine your heart. He said, guard. Why do we guard? Because there are things that always try to get in. You're not appreciated. You're rubbish. You'll never amount to anything. All of these messages we stuff into our heart. Hard work is about examining each and every single one of them to create room for truth to enter and to sit. I work like a dog for you guys. Not because I'm trying to get your approval but because I'm already approved by God. I've done hard work so that I can do my hard work. So that I can do what God has called me to. 
so that I'm not fighting wars and battles, but deep inside, not knowing whether anyone's fighting for me. We need to get into a habit of heart work. And over this week, host teams, if you can get ready with those slips, I've just written down seven questions. Take a question a day. Look into it. Allow that to be something that you consider. Fifteen minutes. Surely you can give 15 minutes to do some hard work. Some of these questions came from a reflection paper that a pastor, a retired pastor, gave to me. And um, he said, once a month, go somewhere nice, treat yourself, get a coffee, get an ice cream, and spend an hour just answering these questions. See what's in your heart. What are your deepest motivations? What's really driving you? Not surface level motivations, deep. How you do that? Ask yourself why five times. I'm making this super practical because this is a habit. You're not going to find some of these in the Bibles like God said on the seventh day, ask yourself why five times. No, you're not going to see it there. But these are practices that have helped me. I said, why are you motivated to do what you're doing? Why are you doing that? Let's say you're a business owner. Why do you have a business? Because I want to make money. Why do you need to make money? Because I want to provide for my family. Why do you want to provide for your family? Just ask. It's like, I want to make a difference in the business world. Why? Because the business world is full of rubbish. Why? Just ask yourself why five times. Get yourself really deep down. I had to ask my, you know, Beck and I were going through adoption. One of the scariest weeks that is coming up is that she is going to question us about our motivation for adoption. And they've already said this. That week is the week that is really weird and hard. I was like, okay, sure. Awesome. Why? Why do we want to adopt? We had to work through this process. What is motivating me? Not just on the surface level. Oh, because. Like, shut up and do your hard work. All right, question two. When was the last time I was really excited about something? When do you feel excitement? If you haven't felt excited for a long time, why? If you felt excited about something, why were you excited about that? What did it say to you? Doesn't mean that excitement is a good thing or a bad thing. Ask yourself that. You're really excited when a person of the opposite gender spoke to you. Why? Because you're insecure as heck and you think you're going to die alone. That's why. Sorry to break your bubble. I know how humans work. I speak to lots of them. When was the time that you lost something meaningful to you? And how did you grieve it? How? This is a whole message in itself. I'm going to put it together. There's so many people with frozen grief. I'm not just talking about the loss of a person. I'm talking about the loss of dreams, the loss of innocence, the loss of time. Many of us don't know how to grieve. And that's actually motivating us to do things that we don't even know is there. Another one. What's one question I wouldn't want my best friend to ask me? Oh, that's fun, isn't it? Maybe not best friend. Ask yourself what a mentor Someone who looks after you, looks over you. What wouldn't you want them to ask? Why? What are you trying to hide? What don't you want people to know? 
what problem, failure, or pressure am I not facing? And on the other hand, what success am I not acknowledging? I've noticed this really strange trend. People are really scared of their own successes nowadays. Anyway. How often do I feel a sense of shame or unworthiness? That's a good one. Shame tells you you're not good enough. That's what shame always tells you. How are you dealing with that? And finally, what is something I say a lot that I really don't like that I say? Why do you say it? If you don't like it, why do you say it? What's the motivation behind that? These questions are not necessarily going to get you deep into your heart. They can. If you engage in this process, maybe you've got other questions that are helpful to you. But what I'm asking for is that you spend maybe 10 minutes a day. We're going to post this on our socials as well so that you can check it out on Facebook or Instagram. And maybe that will be a little reminder. But heart work, guys. Guard your heart because... Everything you do flows from it. I hope that I've given you enough of a sense of urgency at why we need to do hard work. Because I didn't know that. I didn't do this for many years of my life. And there's so much frozen stuff, hidden messages. I was going to call this message... Praise and grieve hidden messages. Isn't it great? I'll preach it somewhere else because you guys don't appreciate that. But I've got stuff in my life that I'm still discovering after nine years of being a pastor. You would think that they will only give me my credential when I'm perfect and holy, wouldn't you? None of us are there yet. All of us have got hard work to do. That's why I'm not saying hard work and not hard work. I'm saying hard work and then hard work. Join them together. Know that you're actually pulling in the right direction. I'm running straight out of time. Can we get the band up? You know, a lot of these things come back down to this idea that God has got messages for you. And a big part of the message, like what Andre was saying earlier today brilliantly, that God doesn't need you, but He desperately wants you. Desperate enough that He would go to the cross to die for your sin. And so if you're in this place and you're wondering, how am I supposed to get rid of all these messages? How am I supposed to know that I can truly be secure? How can I truly know that I'm worthy, that I'm loved, that I have a calling and I have a future? Well, it all starts from a place of knowing who's designed you, who's called you, and who has already loved you whose love is unconditional and is unshakable and is always there for you. If you don't have this foundation, what are you trying to build in your life? Are you trying to build on solid ground or do you feel like you've been shaky the whole time? So this morning, can I just ask that you invite Jesus into your life. That is the first step to building a life that is worth living. So just say this prayer with me, everyone. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I know that you love me. I know that you died for me, even while I was a sinner. So wash me clean. Make me whole. Do this heart work with me. Amen. 
Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.